Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 2. 2 Timothy, the second chapter, and let's read verses 15 through 19. It says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, this will be our text, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. That 19th verse, the foundation of God. And he says, nevertheless, this is the last of Paul's letters before his death. His final instructions to young Timothy. He called him his son in the faith. Paul had told Timothy to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That's in the first part of this same chapter. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Paul gives Timothy a number of warnings. These have to do with persons and practices and doctrines. He gives several references to the things of his day and also implies that we now face like things in our day and in the last days. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, let me read this verse of Scripture for you. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. So he says that that will happen in the last days. Paul has many things to say about the things that he endured in his own ministry and suffering. If you read in uh, verse 10 of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Hold your place in 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you will, please. But if you read in verse 10, he says, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So what Paul underwent and what he endured and the things that he will mention will show us that he is writing with a great deal of burden upon his heart. We'll try to give you some of those things in a moment. But he said, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And so in this second chapter and verse 19, that's our main text. The rest of the context is what we will use as well. And let us divide this text that we've chosen, verse 19, into four different headings. The first one is nevertheless. That's the first heading. Nevertheless. We'll give you what it means in a little bit. The second thing, the foundation of God standeth sure. That's number two. The third thing, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are His. And the fourth heading, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ Depart from iniquity. Now then, this word nevertheless is number one. In other words, regardless of other things, 
or in spite of all these negative things that I'll bring to your attention in a moment. This has to do with all the oppositions, the disappointments and the doctrinal deceptions that others were teaching. There was false workers, there were false teachings and false understandings. Remember, we read where it says in verse 16, "...but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness." In verse 18, it says, "...who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some." So Paul was facing all of this kind of opposition. And when we uh, talk about these negative things that we will mention, first of all, that word, nevertheless connects us with the negatives. Have you ever thought about it? You know, say, in spite of this, I'm going to do so-and-so. I'm going to stay on the, the upper side. I'm going to do the right thing. In spite of all the hindrances, in spite of all the opposition, in spite of all the things that may be negative. And Paul mentions many of those things. He speaks of those in Asia. Look at verse 15. Verse 15. 2 Timothy 1, verse 15. The first chapter, verse 15. He says, This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. He said that all the people had turned away from him. I want to give you several verses of Scripture. In chapter 2, verse 9, we just read that one, where he says, I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even... No, we didn't read that one. He says, uh, Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer. Imagine, Paul, the faithful minister and preacher that he was, suffered trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. But the Word of God is not bound. He knew God's Word was not bound. Paul knew that this was his last letter. He knew that his time had come. In fact, when we read over in the fourth chapter, he says, I'm now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. He knew that his life was about over. Let's notice some more negatives. Uh, chapter 2, if you have it, when he speaks of these in verse uh, 18, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. Erred from the truth saying the resurrection is past already. They were denying a future resurrection. And I'm sure that would overthrow the faith of some, not only in that day, but today, where people would deny the resurrection, saying it's already past. So when you die, it's all over. That would disturb every Christian that I know anything about. For you to actually believe that there was no hope for life after death, that there was no future resurrection. We believe that kind of uh, false uh, teaching, we just, well, all get up and go home and forget all about it. Because if there's no life after this one, the best we can do is just enjoy this one, right? But on the other hand, the Bible teaches that there will be a day that the dead in Christ shall rise. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. If you notice verse 14, notice what it says in verse 14. It says, Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, that they strive not about words 
to no profit. There were words to no profit, but to the subverting of hearers, of the hearers. Profitable for nothing but to overturn and subvert those that hear the word. Can you imagine people that oppose so much of the apostles' preaching that they would go to these links that we're pointing out? This word nevertheless includes all of this. Verse 16 says, Shun profane and vain babblings. They will increase to more ungodliness. Verse 17 says, These words, their words would be like a canker or cancer. Look, and their word will eat as doth a canker of whom is... Hymenius and Philetus, he knew the very two that were spreading this kind of false teaching. And it would eat away like a cancer, canker, gangrene. We know what cancer does today. Many people have it. I won't go into that. But anyway, we know that they said that the resurrection is past already. They erred from the truth. Chapter 2, verse 23 says this, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strife. There were foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they would, they would gender strife. I think it was Spurgeon that said someone could ask more questions than a thousand good men could answer. And sometimes that's what we face against. And more foolish and unlearned questions. And in chapter 4, verse 10, if you turn on over there, it says, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. He had that to deal with. A dear worker, friend. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. In 4 verse 14, he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. So, didn't he have some problems? And yet, in spite of all that, he could say in chapter 4 verses 6 through 8, I'm now ready to be offered in the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, he says, but to all them also that love his appearing. So in spite of that, so that word nevertheless connects you with all of these negative things. Nevertheless, in spite of all of this that I'm facing, and that is a false, and people have erred from the faith and, and destroyed the faith of some. Some were, their faith was overthrown, it says in verse 18, and overthrow the faith of some. Isn't it a terrible thing for, like the Apostle Paul, to get people grounded in the Word, or more or less at least acquainted with it, and then someone come along and, and give false teachings that destroy their faith, that destroy their faith. And yet, that's what we face from time to time. You can hear the truth and hear the truth and be grounded in the truth for, to a certain degree, and yet someone come along and teach false doctrines and false teaching and destroy your faith. That's why young people, when they get ready to leave high school and go into college, they better be pretty well grounded. And that's why we need them grounded, because there's more, more atheism and ungodliness than then they'll know what to do with it. And they better be really grounded. We have people today that prey upon the people that are not grounded in the Word of God. These cults that come around, they are preying upon, P-R-E-Y-I-N-G, upon those people that are not grounded in the, in the Word of God. And they can, they can, that's where they get their members. And that's how they increase so readily. So, nevertheless, if you ever come to the things in life that you say, 
in spite of all of this, I'm still going to do what's right and I know what is true. And you need to have convictions in your own life to come to the place that whatever comes or goes that's false, you'll be able to discern it and understand it and just push it aside quickly. And the Bible tells us, I didn't read all of that in 1 Timothy chapter 4. I did read it, but I want to read it again and point out something. It says, 1 Timothy 4 verse 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Now notice this, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devil. That word giving heed means to pay attention and be attentive and pay it and to these false teachings. So the admonition I have for you is that you don't pay any attention to them because that's the way they grab you. If you start listening to it just a little bit, say, well, it won't hurt for me to hear them out. It may hurt for you to hear them out because some people are pretty good at selling that which is false. You found that out in life. And so they can sell you on something that is absolutely not true. And so what I'm trying to say is that, that you need not pay any attention to those things. Now then, let's get to the second point in of our, our message. And that is the foundation of God standeth sure. Having the seal, the Lord knoweth them that are His. But the foundation of God, the sure word of God, will always stand. The Bible says that His word shall stand forever. What are other things that are included? Secretly, the purpose of God is revealed in His Word. Doctrinally, the truth of God. And effectually, the church of God. So, His purpose is to save people. And it's through His truth and through His Word that people are saved through the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And then it's made effectual through the church of God. That's why it's so important that we assemble and support the things of God and carry out the great commission that the Lord wanted us to carry out in preaching the gospel here and around the world. And it's our duty. It's our responsibility. And everything that you do that has a part in that will be blessed. I'm reminded of a scripture in the Old Testament where David was taking men out to battle and they questioned him about some. And he said, you know, there's others that have got to stay here by the stay by the stuff take care of things here, and the rest will go out to battle. And then when the victory was won and the bounty was taken and the, the, the blessings were there for the people to enjoy, he says, his part that will stay here by the stuff shall be the same as the one that goes out to the battlefield. You have just as great a part, or you have your part divided to you, who stand by the church and stand by its purpose and its service and the missionaries that go out, you say, well, those missionaries are going to get all the rewards. No, they're not. You're going to get a part of them too. And you remember in the Bible, in the first chapter of John, it was Andrew that brought Simon Peter to the Lord. And you hear very little about Andrew the rest of the, the Scripture. Only a couple of times, I believe it is, that he's mentioned. But you hear about Peter on the day of Pentecost, preaching to thousands, right? And they say it was a little shoeshine boy that brought D.L. Moody, or at least waked him up to trust the Lord as his Savior. And yet look at Moody and all the things that uh, God blessed him with in all the well, Moody Bible Institute and the church and all the things that he did and the great evangelist that he was, but who was responsible? 
You see, you never know what your testimony will do to bring someone else to the Lord and how, how that that will work out to where there will be a great deal of God's work done through that little individual that you have witnessed to. So every person's testimony is valuable. And we need to get that into minds. And the purpose of God will be carried out. The plan of God, the truth of God, and it's through the church of God. The Word of God establishes that Jesus Christ is the true foundation. I'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and read this for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says in verse 11, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. How would you know that He's the true foundation? Through the Word that tells you so, you wouldn't know that. There's a scripture in the Psalms that says that God hath magnified His Word above all His name. Above all His name. I'm tempted to try to find it. You can imagine how that if it's above all His name, His Word is really magnified, isn't it? And so it's the Word of God that tells us that Christ is the true foundation. And in 1 Corinthians, that we started to give you, it says, Other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. There is no church but what is built upon Christ, if it's the true church of God. There is no gospel but what is built upon Christ. There is no salvation but what is built upon Christ, and there is no Christian but what is built upon Christ. He is the foundation. He's the foundation of our salvation. The Bible says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. So if you, if you have not accepted Christ, you have not the salvation that He's provided. The Bible says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. It says, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He's the foundation of our salvation. And we look to Him and Him alone, and to His work on the cross of Calvary, to what Jesus did, and to His shed blood. And the Bible teaches all these things about His shed blood as our salvation. The Bible says, "...in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace." That's Ephesians 1.7. Colossians 1.14 says, "...in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins." Hebrews 9 verse 12 says, "...neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood." He entered in once into that holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Hebrews 9, verse 22. 1 Peter 1, verse 18 says, For as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, going on down, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who by Him do believe in God that raised Him up from the dead and gave Him glory. Listen, that your faith and hope might be in God. See? The death of Christ, His shed blood, the foundation of our salvation. He's the foundation of our faith. The Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God. 
not of works, lest any man should boast. He's the foundation of the church. You know, he said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The Bible says you're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. That's in Ephesians 2. Let me read for you. Verse 19 and 20. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints in the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. So He's the cornerstone of that true foundation, as well as the foundation itself. You know, Christ and Him crucified is the foundation of all gospel preaching. Paul says we preach Christ and Him crucified. Uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I declare unto you the gospel. What is the gospel, Paul? How that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. How He was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So all of this is true about the gospel preaching. Let me give you something in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I want to read a few verses. Verse 1, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. Now listen very carefully. For I determined not to know. You know, people determine to know a lot of times. Paul said, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Now, listen to verse 5. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He said in Romans chapter 1, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. It's through that gospel that we're saved. And it's through the preaching of that gospel. He says, we preach Christ and Him crucified under the Jews of stumbling block and under the Greeks' foolishness. He says in verse 18 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. And so it is the power of God. By the way, it doesn't have to be held up by celebrity or, or any famous people that will bear witness to it in word or deed or song. Songs are good. And we have many inspirational songs. But it says, The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. What? Unto everyone that believeth. Just as simple as that. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. There are other means and instrumentalities that we all have. Our witness and our testimony and our song and our everything. But remember that it's the gospel that saves people. Having this seal, look at the third thing of our message. Nevertheless, that's number one. The foundation of God standeth sure. That's number two. Number three, having this seal. This denotes ownership and sonship and authority and security. Ownership. Uh, Paul said in Romans 8 verse 9, If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So there are some that do not belong to him. In John chapter 10, let me give you several verses. Look at verse 14. In John chapter 10 verse 14, it says this, 
I am the good shepherd and know and, and know my sheep and am known of mine. So he knows those that belong to him. The foundation of God standeth sure having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. Uh, John 10 and verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. That's ownership. We belong to the Lord. I love to hear Brother Mel sing that song. Now I belong to Jesus. You see, this is a two-way thing. We belong to Him because He's bought us with a price. You're bought with a price. You're not your own, right? And He belongs to me because I've claimed Him as my Savior. In the Song of Solomon, it says, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. Then it turns around in another scripture, it says, My beloved is mine and I am his. It's, re- it's stated in the reverse in the Song of Solomon. So Jesus is ours because we've claimed him. We are his because he's bought us. And we need to get both of those things together. Ownership and sonship. It says, As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That's Romans 8, verse 14. Remember what happened to the prodigal when he came home? The father gave him the the best robe. You know, he came home. He said, I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. He wanted to go through all the previous rehearsed prayer of repentance. The father stopped him in the middle of it. And he said, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. We have the robe of Christ's righteousness. He said, put shoes on his feet. Shoes of respectability. And he said, uh, put a ring on his finger. Ring on his hand. This ring in the Old Testament was symbolical of authority as well. Not only sonship, but authority. You'll find it in Genesis chapter 41, verse 42. It says this, And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand. This is a ring, a signet ring, that they would take and they would use that ring and press it into the wax. And that sealed certain instruments that were to be sealed. And you find the same thing in the book of Esther. And I could give you all the Scriptures, but I won't have time. But the security that we have in the New Testament, let me give you a Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 22. Well, let's read verse 21. Now, He who establishes us with you is Christ and hath anointed us is God, is God who has sealed us, look, verse 22, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 22, who also has sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. He sealed us. The Bible says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. So it's our security. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, 14 says, In whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Listen, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And it goes on to say in verse 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of His glory. Now then, we're going to have to hurry. I didn't realize my time was about gone. But the last point, it says, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. If you profess to be a Christian, you are to live like a Christian. 
in 1 John 2, verse 6, it says, He that saith he abideth in him, ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. We're to walk like Jesus would have us to walk. We're to follow his example of his walk in life. Well, you say, preacher, he was sinless. That doesn't mean that we'll be sinless, but it means we can follow Jesus. We're to be followers. We should be separated. In 2 Corinthians 6, 17, it says, Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. So he's telling us to be separated from worldliness and from certain company. In the context of that verse, it says that we're, what fellowship hath Christ with Belial? What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And so on and so forth. And then it says, Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate. And we should be, everyone that nameth the name of Christ, should depart from iniquity, we should be dedicated. We should walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called. That's Ephesians 4, verse 1. We should follow Jesus in the way because the Bible says, back to John 10, verse 27 again, it says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. So, We're thankful that we can be a follower of Jesus. The best way for a person to be a follower is first of all to accept Him as Lord and Savior. Follow Him in faith. Be a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Accept His work on the cross of Calvary. And then follow Him in the waters of baptism. Follow Him uh, into the church, the fellowship of Christians. Did you know Jesus sang among the church? Some people, you know, they talk about the New Testament church. I'm on another sermon now. I want to give you something. Some people say, in the book of Hebrews chapter 2, it says, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. So Jesus, is, verse before that, says he's not ashamed to call them brethren. He's not ashamed to call us brethren. Then it says, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. That shows us that the church was in existence when Jesus was upon this earth and when he in the gospel dispensation. Because when did he sing in the midst of the church? When they had the Passover lamb and then when they instituted at that particular time the Lord's Supper. And it says they sang in him and went out. Right? He sang in the midst of the church. So there was a church in existence when Jesus was upon this earth. Some people say, well, it started on the day of Pentecost. Well, that's when God endued it with power from on high, but it was already in existence. It was already born. But anyway, that's another subject and another theological argument. I won't get into that. Let's stand together and ask God to bless us in the invitation. And you know, thank you for being here. And we want to ask our song leader to come.